This episode of The Journal is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn screens candidates for both hard and soft skills, so you can connect with candidates who match your business. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash the journal. Terms and conditions apply. This year, a series of Silicon Valley startups went to Wall Street to go public, and it hasn't gone well. There were two major failures in particular. The first was Uber. Since Uber's initial public offering in May, the company's valuation has dropped from more than 80 billion to about 50 billion. Then in September, disaster struck WeWork, even before it could go public. Its expected valuation dropped by more than half, and on Monday, the company canceled its IPO altogether. The value of these companies tanked for lots of reasons, a fiercely competitive market, undisciplined executives, and an inability to turn a profit. But there's another factor. They were also encouraged in their big spending ways by the same major investor, SoftBank's Vision Fund. Today on the show, the story of SoftBank and its unorthodox founder, Masayoshi San. Does his bold investing strategy cement a startup's success or doom it to failure? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, October 2nd. Masayoshi Son is one of the more interesting people to <laughs> to follow in the business world. He's always got big ideas. He's always got crazy plans. But right now, he also has $100 billion to invest in tech startups, and nobody has that money. It's just, it's insane. Fred Dvorak has been writing about Masayoshi Son for the past two decades. He's got these big visions about about what the future will look like. Ultimately, his ultimate goal is to increase human happiness and end human suffering. And so he's a techno-optimist. He thinks technology can do that. Masayoshi-san is now managing a $100 billion venture capital fund, investing in startups he thinks will change the world. But it would take Sun a long time to accumulate the money he'd need to realize his grand vision. As a kid growing up in Japan, he had almost no money to speak of. He's Korean-Japanese, and he encountered a lot of discrimination when he was growing up. He grew up poor, and he had to really work his way into the position that he's in now. Nothing was handed to him. And he was also very ambitious. He's always been very ambitious, yeah. What were some of the ways that he was illustrating that ambition at a young age? Well, for example, he had a hero who's Den Fujita, the head of McDonald's Japan at the time, and he really wanted to meet him. And so, you know, the story that he tells is that he kept trying and didn't get an appointment. So finally, he just flew to Tokyo to meet him, and by sheer force of will and persistence, he managed to get a meeting to ask, you know, what should I do with my life? He was a teenager at the time. I think he was a teenager, yeah, yeah. 
So that's kind of the model that he's followed for his entire life is passion, persistence, force of will, and getting where he wants to go. What, what advice did Dan Fujita give Masayoshi-san? He told Masa to go study computer science, the new field. Sounds like that was probably good advice. Yes, yes. He did eventually end up going to UC Berkeley. He studied really hard, and he also invented a translation device, which he then sold the rights to and went back to Japan and founded SoftBank. Sun founded SoftBank in 1981. The business started off as a software distribution company, selling American computer software to Japanese businesses. And, as would become a theme in his life, people were skeptical. There's an apocryphal story he tells about himself when the company was just founded and he got up on a box and said to the, you know, the handful of employees, two or three at the time, we're going to make $75 million in five years. And they, you know, the people listening thought, this guy's crazy, and most of them quit. They quit. <laughs> just like, this is, uh, yeah, it sounds like this guy is just, he's dreaming too big, we're, we're out of here. Yes. But, but these employees were wrong. I mean, SoftBank did go on to make a lot of money. Yes. Time after time, Son has made these crazy bets, and people have said, he's going to fail, this time is the end, and he's always pulled through. And he did pull through. The software business he created was successful, and he made a lot of money on it. But his big breakthrough was when he began investing in startups. I mean, he invested in a lot of internet startup-type companies in the 90s, like hundreds. Mm -hmm. They all rose at the time with the internet bubble. So for a little while, at the height of the bubble, Son was personally the richest person in the world. Yeah, I know Masa likes to talk about how he was richer than Bill Gates for a few days back then. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And, and what has he said about his investment style? He was at a conference and was asked about his investment style, which we had heard was kind of gut-driven. You have to talk with the founder. You have to talk with the entrepreneur. What is his vision and the view? And then you have to also feel the passion of the guy. Does he have enough energy to be able to crack the formula? And he starts talking about Yoda. You don't even need to think. You can feel it. Yoda says, listen to the force. <laughs> His investment strategy is driven by a Star Wars character. <laughs> you know, he'll say, yeah, you can do due diligence, but at the end, there is a thing like doing too much, like knowing too much. So at this point, Sun was doing really well. SoftBank was a successful business, and he'd made a lot of money trusting his gut on startups. But then he hit a roadblock. The tech bubble of the 90s burst, and many of Sun's investments tanked. Sun is said to have personally lost $70 billion, which some believe is the most money any person has lost individually in history. But Sun figured out that one of the reasons his internet investments failed was because not enough people actually had the internet. So he turned that into his next idea. He decided that... Japan hadn't been quite ready for the internet revolution that he was envisioning. And so he was going to make that happen by hooking everyone up with fast internet. 
He sent like hundreds of women in mini skirts out on the streets carrying paper bags with routers to sign up people for broadband on the street. And one of the stories that I heard was that he was trying to lease fiber optic lines from NTT, which is Japan's biggest telecoms company. And they said, well, you know, I don't think we have any for you. So he went to the ministry and met one of the officials in charge there and said, if you don't help me out, I'm going to light myself on fire in your office with this lighter. He threatened to set himself on fire. Yes. So he's actually holding a lighter. Yes, and I did talk to the regulator, too, and he confirmed it, yeah. Wow. So uh, his broadband bet paid off, and in fact, broadband penetration did soar in Japan. Eventually, Sun got into the wireless industry, shaping SoftBank into one of the biggest telecom companies in Japan. For a time, it was the sole distributor of iPhones in Japan, and later, SoftBank bought a controlling stake in Sprint, the U.S. wireless company. But on top of all of SoftBank's success, Sun made a lot of money from another source. It came from two of his early tech investments, which ended up surviving the 90s tech bubble. One was Yahoo. The other was Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce giant. Both of those investments had an important strategy in common. Sun gave the founders more money than they asked for. Typically, he will say to founders when he meets them, I love your company, but you got to be more ambitious. You have to be bigger, you have to grow faster, and you have to take more money. We've heard story after story where a company has gone requesting a certain amount of money from Masa, and he's urged them to take multiples more. Why does he urge them to take multiples more than they think that they need? Well, he he wants them to grow faster, and he wants them to think bigger, and he wants them to be more ambitious, as he himself is with SoftBank and with Yahoo and with Alibaba. They were spectacularly successful investments for SoftBank. Giving Alibaba and its founder, Jack Ma, multiples more than he needed paid off incredibly well for Sun and SoftBank. That investment alone has delivered Sun tens of billions of dollars. And it proved to Sun that pouring huge amounts of money on the right entrepreneurs is a good way to gamble. And in 2016, Sun took that lesson to the extreme. He started raising money for the SoftBank Vision Fund, the whopping $100 billion fund that would allow him to place the biggest bets imaginable on startups. It's far, far bigger than any other tech investment fund has ever been. And and just explain, how does he get all that money for the Vision Fund? You know, he was introduced to Mohammed bin Salman, who at that time was not yet the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And they met and famously... Masa has boasted that in 45 minutes, he managed to persuade MBS, as he's known, to invest $45 billion in something that would be a tech investment fund. How was he able to do that? (laughs) His magic mouth. (laughs) I 
<laughs> He's an extraordinarily charismatic, passionate, enthusiastic person. And MBS was looking for ways to diversify the economy of Saudi Arabia, which, of course, is heavily tied to oil. So in 45 minutes, he gets $45 billion from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, pledged to. Pledged to. And then... How how much more money does he raise after that, and who does he get it from? So he got another $15 billion from Mubadala, which is Abu Dhabi's sovereign wealth fund. And then there are, you know, billion-dollar contributions from the likes of Apple, Larry Ellison, or Foxconn, which is a big Taiwanese assembler that puts together the iPhone. So in a very short period of time, Masa and SoftBank is able to raise a pretty significant amount of money. What were people thinking at the time that this was happening? They thought it was crazy. And nobody has ever seen this amount of money going into venture capital. Masa himself has said, look, I've raised more for one fund than the entire venture capital industry has in a year. And all of the investors who gave money to the Vision Fund are expecting to make big returns. But does Sun's investment strategy work? That's after the break. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn screens candidates with not only the hard skills you're looking for, but soft skills too. Things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills to connect you with candidates who match your business. See for yourself why a hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. Visit linkedin.com slash the journal to make your first job post. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. That's linkedin.com slash the journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. In a matter of months, Masayoshi Son managed to raise one of the largest investment funds in history. What does he do with all that money? Spends it faster than anyone ever expects him to. And what kinds of companies is Masa investing in through his vision fund? Well, unicorns. Which is Silicon Valley parlance for a, a startup. A billion dollar worth. plus, mm -hmm. yeah. They've spent it on big stakes in a lot of the biggest unicorns, but actually a lot of the companies that he's invested or that the Vision Fund has invested in are decacorns, right? So they're like $10 billion plus valuation. Mm -hmm. And remind me, what are some of the companies he's put money behind specifically? Basically the Uber of everywhere, right? So Uber, Didi Chuxin, which is the Uber of China, Grab, which is the Uber of Southeast Asia, Ola, which is kind of the Uber of India, WeWork, which is well in the news these days. Mm -hmm. He says that he's spending it on the number one company in each category and each geography. And before problems started to show with some of his biggest investments, Sun was continuing the strategy he learned from Alibaba, giving companies a lot more money than they ask him for and hoping they grow faster than anyone thought possible. One example was Plenty, which is a vertical farm. They grow vegetables indoors. So they were planning a small rollout in the U.S., and Masa met them and said, no, okay, you, you have to think bigger. 
think Middle East because they really need your indoor farms. So you should have farms in Saudi Arabia and you should do some in Japan and you should roll out in multiple locations and you should scale much faster. So in order to do that, right, then you need locations. They're just a tiny company, right? You need locations all over the place. You need to hire people. You need to, you know, have capital investment in many more places. So this is kind of typical of what he does. Sun's investing theory wasn't just that SoftBank could identify winning startups. It was that SoftBank could determine which startups won by virtue of those heavy investments. That's the theory, that you can be a kingmaker. That if you give a company enough money, they can become the dominant player by just bulking up and expanding faster. But sometimes that kingmaker theory doesn't work. And there's three reasons for that. One is that even when you invest a lot of money in a company, rivals might pop up either way. SoftBank saw that happen when it invested in Didi. Even in China, Uber bowed out of China uh, and Didi absorbed its, its rivals. And it was, in theory, it was the dominant ride-sharing company in China. Even Didi has seen subsequently rivals pop up from different sectors, like Meituan, which is food delivery, decided to, to start up ride-hailing. The second is that other investors can just match SoftBank's investment, leading to huge valuations. For example, they put in $300 million in a dog-walking app, WAG, and that's a lot of money. Like, what can a dog-walking app do with $300 million? But the rival app also got an equally large amount of money from other, other investors mm -hmm. following sort of the, the soft bank trend. And the third possible problem with this is that at some point, all that money can become just counterproductive. A lot of people, a lot of traditional VCs will argue that you, you can only push so far. <laughs> you can only push so fast. If you're a company that has tried to, you know, expand faster than you can, or you've taken on more money than you need, there's a real chance that you could end up spending it foolishly. You could try and expand too fast, and then you'd have to retrench. It may not end up working for you. It may just burn through cash. And a lot of the vision fund investments are in companies that are burning a lot of cash, that are not profitable, that are growing fast. Uh, they are expanding, but they're using a lot of money in order to expand uh, and in also in order to get customers. The theory is eventually they'll gain a dominant market share. There'll be some sort of critical mass at which they can start making more money. But if that doesn't happen, then they've just lost a lot of money. This is basically what happened with Uber. SoftBank poured a bunch of money into Uber, but it didn't become dominant. It's still losing money, and it's still in a price war with Lyft. And more recently, with WeWork, SoftBank's decision to invest massive amounts of money seemed to make things worse. SoftBank invested several times at different values, valuations of the of the company. But the latest round that SoftBank put money in was at a valuation of $47 billion. And WeWork then tried to list, go public, and the value that investors were willing to invest wasn't anywhere near $47 billion. In fact, 
we've reported that they had to go well below 20 billion and still weren't able to get enough investor enthusiasm for an IPO. And so they've sort of postponed it for now. Even with the problems at WeWork and Uber, SoftBank has invested in a lot of other companies that could succeed and then balance out the fund's returns. But the performance of those two companies is a troubling sign. It could mean that Sun can't define the outcome just by the amount of money he throws around. You know, at a very high level, it's a question of whether you can, by force of will, push technology and companies head in the direction that you want, right? He's always tried to do that, and now he's trying that at the biggest levels imaginable. The stakes are really high for Masa because his reputation is on the line. He's raised all this money based on his track record of some real big hits. Even more broadly, though, a lot of people were looking at what the Vision Fund was doing and saying, wow, this is different. By wielding so much money, he has a huge amount of influence on what startups make it and also which ones get most attention, also in how investing gets done. So if the Vision Fund doesn't work out, I think both startups and investors are going to take a hard look at all the things that have been going on for the past few years we may well see a step back from those sorts of attempts. SoftBank has now spent almost all of the $100 billion Sun raised in the Vision Fund. But he's not done yet. Sun says he wants to create a second Vision Fund. In July, he announced Vision Fund 2, that he hopes could be even bigger than Vision Fund 1. So far, he says investors have raised their hands to contribute $108 billion. That's all for today, Wednesday, October 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.